good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 34. Let's read together. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 as we finish up Deuteronomy today. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which faces Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the plain and the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's word. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as, did as the Lord had commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land, and for all the mighty acts and power of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we look to your living word. We know that this message was not just for the Israelites then, but it is for us here today. And so I pray that as, as we come to the end of Deuteronomy today, God, that we'd not only reflect on what you've been saying to us throughout this book, God, but that we would, we would end this book on a high note of understanding who you are, what you require of us, how we ought to live our lives. And ultimately, Father, as, as we consider the death of Moses and the search for a Savior that continued after his life, God, I pray that we would reflect on the birth and the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, give us great insight as we look to your word today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. We're at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and we've seen that God has, has accomplished quite a bit as we look at the first five books of the Bible, all of these books written down by Moses. We go from, from the Garden of Eden to the promise to Abraham, to the descendants of Abraham growing into a great nation, to being freed from slavery, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And now we come to the end of Moses' life. Moses has brought the people from slavery in Egypt to the doorstep of the promised land. And yet, as we were warned earlier in this book, we know that Moses is not going to go in with them. We read here very plainly, I might add, about the death of Moses. 
For a man who, who did such great exploits for the Lord, you might expect a little more fanfare around his dying. And yet we have just a few short verses. And then here we are left. Our search for a savior continues. What these people had known really all their lives, the people who were alive at this time, at the time of Moses' death, Moses was the only leader they had known. He was the one who brought them out of slavery. He was the one who led them to the promised land. No doubt he was the one they were hoping would go in and continue to lead on that land. And yet Moses dies. He's not going in with them. He's not going to be a part of this next leg of their journey in following the Lord. Well, let's, let's, let's take some things from this text before we get too far into the need that, that Moses' death leaves in their lives and the need that we have in our own lives. Let's just take some things that, that ought, to be, ought to be observed from this text. If you have the handout in front of you, I encourage you to grab a pen, write, write down, let's fill in some blanks together. Write these few things down. The first one is this. God fulfilled his promise. One thing that you should not miss as you conclude the book of Deuteronomy, do not let Moses' death overshadow what God has done. God has fulfilled his promise. He chose Abraham some 500 years earlier he showed Abraham this same trek of land that Moses looks out onto before his death. And he said the same thing to Moses. This land I will give you and your descendants. This is the land of promise. Now, it took 500 years for this promise to become reality. When, we, when, we, when we're dealing with God, we must understand he does not operate on our timetable. He does not always operate according to our desires. He doesn't do things necessarily the way that we want them to be done. I mean, just take the life of Abraham. Here's Abraham. God promises him he's going to be a great nation. And he, doesn't have any, he doesn't even have any sons. And it's decades from the time of that promise until the fulfillment of, of the promise in terms of his first son being born. And Abraham dies not seeing a great nation, but seeing a small band of descendants. And yet God continues to work from generation to generation. He raises up Isaac, and then he raises up Jacob and then he raises up Joseph and, the, and, and Abraham's descendants, this nation that God promised to Abraham continues to grow and to grow because God fulfills his promises. Verse four of our text says, then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. But he says, I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. Sometimes the fulfillment of God's promises isn't necessarily complete in our lives. Sometimes we don't get to see everything that God has promised come to pass. Not sometimes, all of the time, I should say. It is one of the trademarks of God's people that we are born into his plan. 
we see the progression of his plan during our lifetime, and then we die knowing that there is much more to come. So it was with Abraham, so it was with Isaac, so it was with Jacob, and so it will be with Moses. Yet God has fulfilled his promise. Here it is. They're about to go into the promised land. He has been with them all of these years. He has brought them to this place. He has multiplied them, caused them to increase greatly to the point that now they are ready to go in. The next thing we should observe here is that God sustained his servant. This is the next thing you see on the handout. He sustained his servant. Moses having led the people. Moses is 120 years old. The first 40 years of his life, he lived in Pharaoh's household. You're perhaps familiar with the story of Moses' birth. He's, he was born a Hebrew, but he was born at a time when the, when the Israelites or the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt. They were becoming so numerous that Pharaoh commanded the midwives who were, who were facilitating birth of the Hebrew children to sacrifice, to kill off any Hebrew sons that were born. And Moses is born during that period of Israel's history. And yet they snuck him away, they hid him. Eventually, Pharaoh's, um, Pharaoh's family finds him and takes him in and they raise him as essentially as one of their own. And so Moses, for 40 years, grows up in Pharaoh's household. He's living, he's living in luxury He's living, he's living in, in probably one of the richest households, if not the richest household at that time on all the earth. Then he sees how his people are being mistreated. And he comes, he, 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 he comes to their aid and he actually ends up murdering an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. And because he had committed murder, he flees from Egypt he hides out in the wilderness. He lives in the wilderness for 40 years, and then God calls him. God calls him to go back to Egypt to, to lead God's people out of slavery, to lead them into the promised land. And so for the last 40 years, that's what he's been doing. And through all of this, God has sustained him. He should have died at birth. That was the decree that Pharaoh made. Moses should have died at birth. Instead, he grows up in Pharaoh's household. He should have been brought to justice when he killed the Egyptian, but he escapes death again. He survives in the wilderness. God has sustained him. Verse five of 34 says, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. According to the Lord's word, he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab facing Beth Peor. And no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. I don't know about you, I got my first pair of glasses when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> it didn't take long for my eyes to grow weak. Vitality, I haven't had that in decades Always, you always tease Greg because you know how presidents, when we see them when they go into office and, um, you know, four years go by, sometimes eight years go by and you see those comparison pictures 
and, and how much they've changed. And I remember when Barack Obama had this like just radiantly black hair and then by the time he was done, it was all gray. That's Greg. Greg, over the past four years of planning this church, it's like, dude, what's happening to your hair? It's turning gray. He's actually younger than me. But that, that's the weight of leadership. That's, that's what stress will do to you in your life. And yet Moses was sustained by God, 120 years old. What a testimony of God's kindness and God's goodness to sustain his servant Now, that's not a promise to you and I that we'll live to be 120 years old. That's not a promise that we'll live full of vitality. It's just a testimony of how God sustained Moses because he had risen him up for this particular purpose. And when, when God calls his servants to do something specific, he equips them down to giving them what they physically need to accomplish that task. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. People are probably like, man, how long is Moses going to live? This guy, he's, he's, he's outrunning guys half his age. What a testimony of God's kindness. God gives life as he wills, as he chooses. So we see that God has fulfilled his promise. We see that God has sustained his servant. And we ought to be reminded we serve the same God. God is always good to fulfill his promises. He he will bring to pass what he has promised to do, period. It may not be in your lifetime. It may not be according to your will, but he will do what he has promised to do. I was reminded last night of the, the New Testament teaching that God gives the Holy Spirit to believers as a down payment on our future salvation. What I mean by our future salvation, our salvation is present. Salvation is, is, is a now thing, but there is, there is more to come in regards to our salvation. God will one day give us glorified bodies. God will one day remove the presence of sin from his people. God will one day raise us to eternal life. How do we know he's going to do that? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a down payment. What is a down payment? A down payment is a guarantee that you're going to finish the agreement. Now, when you give a down payment, let's say you're, Let's say you're buying a house or you're buying a car and you, say, you want to say, hey, uh, here's $1,000. Um, I promise I'm going to come up with the rest of the money and complete this deal. Now, if you don't, if you don't make good on that, you're out $1,000. God has not given $1,000 as a down payment. He has given the Spirit of God. You think he's not coming back for that? You think he's going to leave that kind of money on the table? He's guaranteed to finish what he has done. He is a God of promise. He is a God who makes good on his promises. He is a God that can be trusted. We need to know that. They needed to know that. Because there was a lot still to happen among the Israelite people. In fact, they're going into a season now in Deuteronomy 34 where they've lost their leader. They've lost someone very significant in their lives. 
and they've got to make some adjustments. And we see what they do in verses eight and nine. If we look at the next thing on the handout, it says that the people mourned their loss, but also embraced their new reality. The people mourned their loss, but also embraced their new reality. Let's just read together. Verse eight says, the Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. In one verse, in one verse is described the mourning among the people of Israel over the loss of the only leader they have known in their lifetime, says they wept for Moses 30 days. There's so much more that had to have happened that's not described in these verses. Grief is not as simple as these few words would make it seem. When you lose someone this significant, when you lose someone that means this much to you, it's not a simple process that ends after 30 days. However, we're reminded that these people did not, they did not avoid mourning. They, uh, I remember uh, a pastor said one time of, of a family that was grieving a loss I remember him saying, they grieve well. And I had to stop and think about what that means. What does it mean to grieve well? To grieve well means to not shy away from mourning. To grieve well means to, to not try to avoid the pain of loss. To grieve well is, is to let grief happen and to do so collectively. And I think that's what's going on here. I think the Israelites probably grieved well. They mourned for 30 days as a nation. Everything came to a halt, and they just mourned. They grieved. They let it happen. We have a tendency... in our culture, to almost try to avoid grieving, to almost try to like shake it off and pretend like it's not happening, to just sort of push through. Let's just, just get this behind us. Let's let's just keep let's just keep going. Do what we're doing. And here we see these people. They their lives came to a halt for a whole month, and they just they just grieved. They wept. They mourned. They felt the loss. I think it would be unreasonable to think that at the end of 30 days, that process was done. Grief is an ongoing thing. However, there's, there's great benefits to grieving well. One of the benefits is that they were able to embrace their new reality. As soon as we, as soon as verse, as, as, sort of succinct and brief as verse 8 is, 
so it's equally abrupt how quickly we move to verse nine. Certainly these verses don't tell the whole story, but listen to this. The Israelites wept for Moses. The days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. And then verse nine immediately goes into this. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Healthy mourning, healthy grieving oftentimes leads the way to be able to embrace the new reality that you find yourself in. Yes, Moses is gone. For the last 40 years, they had a leader who met with God face to face. They had a leader that they could depend on, that they could rely on. They had a leader that advocated for them, who who interceded for them before the Lord. But God has not left his people. He has raised up Joshua, and now Joshua is going to lead them. When Moses died, God's plan did not die with him. And The same is true for us when we experience significant loss. The reality of the grief and the reality of our loss does not negate what God intends to do throughout the rest of our lives. In order to mourn well or to grieve well, we eventually have to make that transition to embrace our new reality. To come to a place where we say, okay, things have changed. It's different now. It's always going to be different. But God still has a plan. And God is still at work in my life and through my life. And I will embrace that new reality. Easier said than done. Friday night as I was preaching this, and you got to understand, Friday night's a pretty small, intimate group. Um, the, it's, the lights are on in there, and, and I can see everybody face-to-face. And one of my former youth group students who passed away within the past week, uh, his mom was there for the first time. And I was like, it's, I don't, I don't want to preach this. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't want to touch that nerve, and yet I'm so confident of God's goodness in this truth. I'm so confident that, that this is true, that God wants us to mourn our loss, yet embrace our new reality because he's not done with us yet. And I know this is a tough time of year. I know the majority of the people in this room have lost someone who has left avoid a hole in your life that you carry with you through the holidays. And that's okay. And it's okay to be sad about that. And it's okay to continue to mourn and to grieve that. But what's not okay is is neglecting what God is doing in your life now. It's not okay to give up. It's not okay to stop moving. It's It's not okay to look around you and say, there's nothing else here for me. God still has a plan. That is the new reality that we live in. 
This is something that every human being has had to experience. It is something that the people of Israel went through. It's something that everybody before them had gone through. It's something that everybody after them has gone through. It's a part of our lives to lose someone we love and to face the difficult task of embracing that new reality. But God is with us. Just as he was with Israel, he will be with you. Finally, the last thing I want to look at, and this one will take the most time. I say that just to let you know, don't get excited. You're not getting out of here early today. (laughs) Just a reminder, I'm going to use my time. The last thing we want to look at is this. Moses' death affirms our need for a savior. His death affirms our need for a savior in two ways. I can think of at least in two ways. The first is that Moses, up until this point, functionally served as their savior. Don't take that too far theologically, but functionally, he was the one who would go before God, receive instruction, come back, convey that to the people. He was the one whom God did all of these miraculous things through. He was the one who parted, through whom God parted the sea when the Egyptian army was pursuing them. He was the one through whom God brought water into a desert, who provided food miraculously. Functionally, Moses served as their savior. And now he's gone. Now what? They still need a savior. That's one way. The other way is is that Moses' death reminds us of the gospel truth that all of us have fallen short of God's righteous standard and none of us deserves on our own merit his gift of eternal life. Not even Moses. Moses' sin keeps him from going into the promised land. In your sin and my sin keeps us from going into the promised land of eternal life. Moses was not good enough and neither are we. Listen to verse 10. It says, no prophet has risen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, to all his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. This is how God's word describes Moses. He, he was the best. There was nobody else like Moses in the history of Israel. There's no prophet like him. There's no one whom the Lord knew face to face in the same way. There's no one who did such signs and wonders. There's no one who did such a, the, the most significant historical event in the history of Israel is their rescue from slavery in Egypt and their transition into the promised land. There's never been anyone like Moses. And Moses deserved to die for his sin. So where does that leave us? I'm no Moses. You're no Moses. It leaves us in need of a savior. 
It leaves us in desperate need of someone else to save us. It leaves us exposed before God. It it leaves us in the most vulnerable of places. It leaves us prepared to stand before a holy and righteous God and give account for how we've lived our lives. Everything we've done, everything we've thought. James 2 reminds us in in James chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we're reminded, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Just pause there for a second. Is that not what we've been saying from Deuteronomy? Love and obey. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors. James says, if you do that, you're doing well. If, however, verse 9, you show favoritism, seemingly a minor sin, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. God's law is pass or fail. He's not grading on a scale. He's not, he, he, it's, it's not like, if, well, we're, everybody's going to sin, but if you do enough good, then you make it in. I remember one time when I was um, taking some classes uh, online, this was at least 10 years ago, and life was just crazy. I was having trouble keeping up, and I, I wanted to make sure that I still was going to do well enough to get credit, and I asked my academic advisor, I was like, so what's like the worst grade I can get and still get these credits. <laughs> and he's like, nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm special. It's not, the issue of eternity, the issue of whether or not we will gain eternal life is not like that. It's not like, what's the, what's the least I can do in order to get in? James 2 is clear. If you break the law at one point, you are a lawbreaker. Lawbreakers don't get in. Lawbreakers don't spend eternity with a perfectly holy and righteous and just God. So, what this means is it doesn't matter how many times you have kept God's law. It doesn't matter how many, excuse me, how many times you've done the right thing. What matters is at some point you didn't. At some point you have broken God's law. That puts you in a class of human beings which is occupied by the entire human race. Those of us who are in need of a savior. Why should you celebrate Christmas this year? Why is the birth of Christ good news? It's because of everything we're talking about here. It's because of Deuteronomy 34. It's because Moses, as good as he was, wasn't good enough. He needed a savior. Moses died. He didn't get to go into the promised land. We don't even know where his grave is. This is like, this was the greatest prophet in Israel. 
And he's just one more man in need of a savior. So Luke chapter 2 tells us this encouraging story. Because from the time of Moses for the next 1,500 years, that's 1,500 years. A lot of generations lived and died over that period of 1,500 years, not having seen this Savior. But when the time came for God to send forth his son, he went and he, and he promised a man named Simeon that he would not die without seeing the Messiah. Listen to the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Through 35, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. God, at the right time, sends forth his son to be the Savior. We celebrate Christmas because we celebrate the coming of a Savior that we so desperately need. Make no mistake about it. Without what we, what we celebrate at Christmas, without the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, you have no salvation. Every man, woman, Simeon even tells Mary, He's, he's telling Mary, the mother of Jesus, how much she needs this Savior. I know in Catholicism, it's popular to elevate Mary to this place where she didn't really need a Savior. Like she was sinless and like she didn't die and like, like you know, on and on. She needed a Savior. Moses needed a Savior. You and I need a Savior. So next Saturday, we're going to get together and we're going to celebrate the coming of that Savior. I would encourage you not to come alone. I'd encourage you to bring somebody with you. I would encourage you to, to prepare your heart before you come and to come ready to worship, to rejoice, to receive our Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, we, just like Moses, have this incredible need to be rescued from ourselves, to be saved from our sin. And this Christmas, we, we want the meaning of Christmas 
the coming into the world of a savior to provide atonement for our sins, to provide forgiveness for our sins. We want that not only to penetrate our hearts, but to penetrate the hearts and souls of the people around us. God, I pray that our friends, that our family members, that our neighbors, our coworkers, that they would hear the gospel and believe that they would experience the great gift of an eternal Savior, the Savior that Moses longed to see more than he longed to see the, the promised land, the Savior that Simeon patiently waited so that he could depart in peace, the Savior that came into our lives rescued us from our sin and gave us the gift of eternal life. Father, you sent your son into this world to save sinners. Would you, in your infinite mercy, save many more in our lives this Christmas season? And Father, if there's anyone in this room who is in need of a savior, and who desires to confess today that they are a sinner and that they believe in Jesus Christ, that they believe that Jesus Christ was born, lived, and went to the cross in their place so that they could have eternal life. God, today, would you come into their lives, forgive their sins, and grant them eternal life through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.